Recycles and Misfits, coming to you from the Recycle Garage in sunny Santa Cruz, California. Hey everyone, how are you doing? This is Liza and I had a fabulous weekend. There you go. Let's get to who is here because today is Valentine's Day, which means we have misfits who are out uh, pursuing other hobbies we'll just call it right now and couldn't, <laughs> other couldn't other pursuits and couldn't be on the show but that's okay because we have enough misfits abound to always put on a show so let's get to oh looking so good and showing full breastage tonight it's miss emma hello darlings it's valentine's day and i want to let Everyone know I'm sending you all a virtual Valentine's card because I love you all. Oh, yes, you do. Yeah, very nice. We love you too, Miss Emma. Thank you. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> you know, I was buying coffee at the local 7-Eleven today, and um, the person behind the counter said, I would ask you out on a date based solely on how good your eyebrows are. Ooh. High praise indeed. <laughs> that Man. person knew exactly what to say to you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm very proud of my eyebrows. Whereas when you show up the garage, I usually say something. Oh, hey, Emma, you got a booger <laughs> yeah, hanging out. Yeah, yeah exactly. You've got, <laughs> yeah. You've, got a, you've got a nose goblin. <laughs> 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 But what's a better friend? The one who tells you what you want to hear and the one who tells you what you need to hear. I, You know, I like to have my nose goblins pointed out. Thank you. <laughs> oh, and, and coming here, spreading the love on Valentine's Day because all you need is love. <laughs> it's Bagel. Love is all you need. <laughs> Greetings from Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> um Bagler, how's the weather in Oregon land? Um where I am it is actually not too bad. It's just been wet and semi cold. Well, we're just um, now now it's just you just back up there, mister. Yes. Define not too bad. <clears throat> okay. We <laughs> did not get the uh the ice apocalypse that northern Oregon and Washington got. Okay. So I am very thankful for that. We seem to be on the the wet and, and warmer side of this weather system. Uh, and it looks like we're not going to get the snow and the ice that uh, they have in farther parts north. So Yeah, but you look like you're wearing quite thick clothing, darling. Oh, just a thin sweatshirt. I've, okay, I've actually got oh. a heater. I've got a heater in my shop now, which is getting it up to almost 60 degrees. Ooh, so. Ooh blimey. Well, yeah. you know, we went riding yesterday. It was in the 50s. So, of course, I had my heated grips on. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like you do. Like you do. And hey, because I said we have so many misfits out, but that's okay because we have stunt misfit John filling in for all of them. Hey, John, how you doing? What's up? Happy VD, everybody! Um, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, so great to be here. Uh, welcome from the uh, welcome from the Redwood Empire up here in the redwoods of Santa Cruz, above above town. Yeah, very nice. You know, I just got a glimpse, John. Um, it's it's gone dark now but when you first uh logged in you mm -hmm. know there was the the just the twilight against all the trees in your backyard yeah. it, it, yeah. it looks like a very nice neck of the woods darling where are you oh it's beautiful up in boulder creek 
Oh, okay. So you're way up at the top. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So we're we're blessed to be here. We got redwoods in our front yard and a creek in our backyard. Okay. Good O. Nice. So we had a lot going on this weekend, which we'll get to, but first I wanna get to this. So you know, I think everybody has an idea of the perfect partner for them. You know, you've built this over the years. You have this idea, like, exactly how tall, what color hair, eyes, what kind of features, personality, the perfect mate for you. Oh, oh, Jack, why couldn't you swim, darling? (laughs) (laughs) And I think that that same thing exists for motorcycles. So I wanted to talk about what's the perfect motorcycle or scooter for you like in your mind like what color how many gears like i and and i'll start because i was actually thinking um because uh this weekend uh john and i went for a ride and i pulled out the 990 smt and i was just thinking yeah you know i really like this bike i don't use it as much as I should, because I'm usually going to ride dirt or, you know, adventure or something. But when I sit on that bike, it fits me. It just fits me. And I don't know if you guys do this thing. When you get on a a bike where you close your eyes and you put your hands out where they just want to be, and the bars are right there. You know, I do that on other bikes. When you're trying to figure out what kind of bars to put on, close your eyes, put your hands out where they feel like they want to be. And the SMT, the bars are right there. Mm. And it also, I think like a good partner, it's got a big enough engine and it's a twitchy bike that it gives me a healthy bit of respect for it. You know, I don't take Duh. it for granted. I I have some respect for it and it will kick me in the butt if I if I'm not careful. Which I think is a good sign. It's a good sign in a, in a good partner. Um, yeah, and he speaks with Austrian accent. <laughs> <laughs> in my mind, I, you know, the Africa Twin has the gold wheels, and I'm just a sucker for gold wheels. I think any bike with gold wheels, gold wheels is the Your bike's got gold pumps on. <laughs> well, so does, the, so does my scooter. Just gold wheels are beautiful. And like, oh, what color? You know what? I have to say, picking a color is is hard. There's all these traditional colors. But even as um, we've been going around looking at bikes lately, and a lot of the new bikes have non-standard colors. You're seeing aquas and and flat stop, gray I'm with gonna, orange. And I'm going to stop you there, darling. Yeah. It's aqua. aqua. It's aqua, aqua, darling. It's aqua. Um, <laughs> what is the perfect color? For me... I, Magenta, sweetie. Okay, gold frames, a, I mean, gold wheels, a frame that is colored. I love a frame that is colored, not black, mm. but a frame that has color that pops out. So it could be white, it could be gold, it could be orange, Red. you know, like yeah. if, if it's a KTM, orange, you know, with black and orange and white or anything. Mm. But I just love a frame that pops out, especially if it's like a trellis frame or something. Um, Right. And I think I think the around the thousand CC is like like a perfect 
like for me, but I want to hear from you guys. What's your are you, are, you, are your pupils dilating now, Liza? I know, right? You're in a very happy place, aren't it you? It is. <laughs> well, Emma, yeah. I want to hear from you. What's well, like the perfect bike? What are the you know the details? You know the when I look back at my motorcycling career, um, my. My abiding love has always been older British bikes, just always. And they're always male. They're always, you know, they're very, very masculine-looking bikes. They're very masculine-sounding bikes. And I'm just so at home on them. I mean, it is a perfect relationship. You talk about when you sit on a bike and everything just is there. I mean, as they say in the magazines, the old cliche, it falls easily to hand. And I mean, that's yeah, absolutely yeah. true. If I'm sitting, say, on my Trident is a perfect example. It's the right height for me. I just reach out my arms. It's like the riding position is like I'm sitting in an armchair. My arms are in that position. It's just perfect. But I have a lover. <gasps> Mm. And I'm well, you know, I'm kind of ashamed, but I'm kind of not ashamed. And um, you know, I very much have a have a relationship with my with my British boyfriend. Um, but I've got a lover, and she's Japanese, <gasps> and mm. she's middle aged, and she's still very very athletic, but she wears far too much purple and yellow makeup. Is she friends and with Shaka Khan? Well, she has got something in common with Shaka Khan, and um, Samixalot actually wrote a song about her. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's a forbidden relationship because, you know, she, she was born halfway around the world, and she's a girl and I'm a girl, but I, I you know, when I, how can I put it mm. properly? It's one bike I'm not going to get rid of, ever, mm -hmm. ever. I love that thing. And she's my lovely RF900. And she doesn't even mind when I call her Rufus either. So the, the colors yeah. are your dream colors? You know, I've always had a very, very soft spot for 90s Japanese sport bikes because they just came in these batshit crazy paint schemes <laughs> which matches you right exactly because <laughs> if you actually meet me in person i always say that i'm kind of like the mission in san francisco i'm bright i'm loud i'm rude i'm in your face i'm very welcoming and embracing and but sometimes you ask people for money yes exactly just like in the mission <laughs> and that era of sport bikes really suits me just fine and you know purple and yellow it the only more batshit crazy paint job than that is the bright pink and silver with the <laughs> pink wheels i was but, gonna say a quoi and orange a quoi and orange darling <laughs> um, but you know um i just like the idea of having a very very sim essentially a very simple carburetted 130 horsepower sport bike and 
yes, she's a little bit porky, and yes, she's got a giant butt. But <laughs> that bike can still kick ass, as you know, Liza. It cruises back from Los Angeles quite happily alongside you at 100 plus miles an hour and doesn't murmur. So what more could you possibly want? Nice. There you go. She's my, she's my perfect Valentine. <laughs> exactly. So how about you, Bagel? Describe the perfect... I assume it's a scooter, not a bike. Yeah, it would definitely be a scooter. Okay. Um, I don't think that such a scooter exists. Oh, but it's here. This, this would be my, my dream scooter. Okay? Yes. So it would be something along the lines of a Vespa GTS like I have behind me here. So it's 300 or 250? Neither. It would be all electric. Oh. And it would be capable of freeway speeds. Oh. And it would have a range of at least 100 miles, but preferably 150 because I like to ride. Oh. Or more, if that's even possible. Mm -hmm. Um, It would have to have a little bit more... little bit more room on the footboards to move your move your feet back mm-hmm. because the gts is a little crowded there can't you can't move your feet back and you know and kind of uh, uh angle your knees in yeah um that's one one thing that i kind of miss on that bike um as far as color goes mm-hmm. i'm pretty open um i mean i like the white of my gts back there but I dig blue scooters. Uh, orange is a great scooter color, as is yellow. Um, I'd even go for like a like one of those cappuccino colored bikes. That's like the the gold Ooh. and the and the metallic brown. You know those. I think that's a good color. Can I can I amend mine? Sparkly paint. Ah yes. Sparkly. <laughs> yes. Yeah, sparkly. And um, yeah, but that would basically be my dream bike. Um, what what so color Vespa, seat? If you're listening, what color seat? Hmm. Yes. You know mm. that would really that would really have to that would really depend on the color of the bike. I, I tend to go for just the black seat just because that's just easy. But you know it does get hot in the summer, mm-hmm. so and I did put a silver seat on my Cannonball bike, um, but that's that was to go along with the silver. Go for, go for the brown. Go for the brown human. leather bagel. Come on. No, I love a brown leather seat. I love a brown leather seat. It would not be leather because, because I, I ride in all sorts of shit. So, so I don't want a leather seat that's going to get ruined if I get caught in the rain. <sighs> um, it's going to have to be vinyl because I'm practical. Okay. You know, you know, leave leave the leather for the show bikes. I want a bike I can ride and not and have to worry about it. Just to get the finest detail on your. Mm-hmm. Your your valve stem caps. What what are you gonna have on your valve stem caps? <laughs> I just go with the, the well actually what I what I what little, I little die some dice? No, no, what I prefer is the valve stem caps with the valve core tool inside of them. Oh yeah, that's good. Because yeah. I'm a practical person. You're a practical person. Yeah. All right. So John, how yeah. about you? So I got I was thinking about this. I got my first love, and I got my teenage love, and then I got my current love. Oh, so oh, my, oh. my first love, much like Miss Emma, uh, was uh, Triumph Bonneville Twins. Like my first uh, real, my, well, I had a 77 Bonneville Triumph that twin that I loved, that I loved. And, uh, and I had to, I got rid of it. Um, that's a sad story of my life. I get rid of bikes. My, my teenage love was, I had an RD 400. 
um, that I just adored because uh, it's just the power band and this, you know, it just would take out big, you know, big leader bikes back in the day during you know, in the eighties. But I think my current love, um, I love V twins or I love twins. Actually, I love Torquey, you know, Torquey twins that just make power all the way through the, through the, through the revs. Uh, as Liza says, I have stubby legs. So I, I got to be able to reach the ground at some point. Tragically <laughs> thick legs. That's what I say. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. That's not nice. It yeah, is when you're trying to, like... to find boots and clothes to fit you. And, and yeah, exactly. That's, it's no, it is. It, it's, I understand. Hey, you know, hey, motorcycle manufacturers, there are fat, stubby people out there that ride bikes. <laughs> so if you're listening. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. And, uh. So, you know, so preferably a twin, something very torquey, something I can reach the ground on and something that, that has some versatility to it. So it's almost like what my current bike is, my Tiger, um, minus a cylinder. Maybe you should be riding a Honda Fury instead. <laughs> Do you know what that is? Maybe. I should. No, I'm not sure we, I know what we that saw is. We saw some yesterday, remember? It's the like 10 years too late Honda factory chopper. Oh, <laughs> no, that's not my vibe. <laughs> but I do love that, that, um, that chrome tank, that uh, Royal Enfield we saw. Uh, so I'm, yeah. I'm a sucker for the chrome tank, you know, with the, the offset tank. color. Oh, oh, my God. You're right. I want a yeah. chrome tank too, man. Can I? Can yep. you have a chrome tank and gold anodized wheels, though? Is that too much? You absolutely can. You can do whatever you want. Yes. So. And a racing stripe? Oh, chrome tank with a racing stripe? Forget or a checkered stripe. Oh. Yeah. Oh, my God. Old schooler. Nice. Yes. Yeah, I think I think everybody has that perfect bike. You know, I've been talking about um it would be really cool to make a like a dating website app but for motorcycles. So like you put in all the like your all your measurements and all your wants and all your functions and then it all will right. match you and you can swipe left or right for all the different models of bikes. You don't have to be lonely at bikersonly.com. Hey, you know, have, have, have you thought about pitching that idea to Austin over at, Twi at Twisted Road? Mm. You know, and turn, turn his app into like a, a Tinder for bikes kind of thing? Well, you know what that makes Austin? Makes him a pimp. Right? We'll, have buy, we'll have to buy him a hat. Pimp, pimp my ride. Yeah. <laughs> pimp my bike. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, as I said, John and I had a nice ride yesterday. We were supposed to go play in the dirt a little bit, but it rained. And I just didn't want to go get all muddy or um, go to any of the, the non-legal dirt places and create a mess. That's kind of the thing. If you're going to go to these, like, not really supposed to be there, don't mess it all up. That's kind of the rule, right. my rule. Um. So we decided to just, I said, let's go hit some dealerships. Let's go look at bikes, sit on bikes. And uh, we went to a few. Um, we went and sat on Indians and Hondas and Kawasaki's. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we went to um, uh, Hollister, yep. Power Sports. Indian dealer and... Um, everything else. Yeah, just about everything yeah. else, yeah. yeah. And uh, cruised by Corbin. And then, um, when, oh, it's Mike. Uh, he was, he, he's not there on Saturdays. And actually we got there just after they closed. Oh, okay. Um, and then we went over to Gilroy power sports there who has KTM Husqvarna Royal Enfield. You know, that's such, 
That's such a good shop. And Pete, who is the service manager over there, is a very dear friend of mine. Um, a man of very high integrity, and that is rare in this industry. Oh, and nice. um, yeah, and um, like a you know, like a lot of people, Pete's getting ready to retire. Mm. But you know, he's he's like, what am I going to do? I can't find anybody who I like, so I'm going to stay here. And a lot of people in the industry are kind of like that, you know. Mm. Um, they want to continue the legacy of the shop by finding somebody suitable, but I can't find anyone suitable. So what are you going to do? And then Pete's a good guy. Then we ended with uh, stopping in at We All Ride, which is a local shop in town. It's not really a dealership. It's kind of where you go get parts and gear, but they've been bringing in some imported bikes. Uh, So Bagel, they actually have a bunch of the the buddy scooters there. They're selling. uh, I got a bunch of those. Um, but the reason I, I took John there is I was telling him about SWM motorcycles that we learned about from Mikey three times, um, who bought the SWM 500. Uh, for those who don't remember, SWM was a defunct, uh, off-roader. Was it trials? I think it was like trials bike. No, no, they, they were enduro. It was enduro. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But it was, yeah. Enduro off-road, uh, long time ago. Uh, long gone somebody bought the name yeah yeah somebody bought the name and then when ktm bought Husqvarna and they canceled a bunch of models of bikes they bought all the molds and tooling and are now making those under the sw name but they're really Husqvarnas, right Hmm. and uh but quite a bit more affordable and so they had the new adventure bike there SWM, uh, I forget the, what the model is, but it's adventure bike. And I think the like suggested retail is, was it like nine grand, I think. Right. Yeah, it was just just under 10. Yep. Yeah, for like a 600, 600cc. I thought it was 650, but I yeah, it might Yeah, it might have been 650, like fully loaded ABS and all that. Um, nice no, I was impressed. They had all bike. the bits. And, they had the Farkles on it already, too. They had a DC oh, yeah. skid plate and, and they had uh, you know crash bars and, and a lot of stuff that we all have to put on aftermarket yeah and make no mistake they're a little rough and ready but i tell you what for bang for the buck you cannot beat it yeah you absolutely can't beat it john asked the all-important question of yeah but where can i get it you know serviced and he said that there's i think they say like eight dealers in california right now and, he did. and growing and there's like four in the in northern california yeah. Yeah. So he was the first in California. Um, so it's it's mm. really new, but it's it's a name to look for right. in you know, uh, but I'm going to say budget bikes, but mm-hmm. they're really they're Italian Husqvarna's. So right. SWM, they got some cool stuff. So check that and, out. And you know, I'm going to be getting some of the workshop manuals and um, service literature. So just down the road, even if. Um, Rich over at Wheel Ride can't service it, or you're in Monterey, you'll be able to drop into my place, and I'll uh, I'll keep it on the road. So there you go. Yeah, so it's fun going and visiting. I'd say the one disappointment for me on the trip was that one of the things I love about going to dealers is, and I told John ahead of time, like, don't let me buy a bike. I don't <laughs> need a bike. However, I am allowed to buy as many gloves or socks. That's where I like. Oh, let KTM my, socks. That's, I was wearing KTM socks that day already. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, 
But that's where I'm like, go crazy. Gloves and socks. That's I don't have no rules about that. Yet dealers, shops don't carry that stuff anymore. There was mm. barely a selection at every place we went. Yeah. Um, because yes, you know, people are buying stuff online, but I also see that this like this <clears throat> circular uh, thing where like, well, we're not going to keep it because you're buying online. So now it's not there for you to buy. So you're going to have to go online. You know what I'm saying? It's- yeah. But I mean, in the dealership's yeah. defense, I mean, you can throw the one thing that you can throw the most money at is clothing. Mm-hmm. You can spend tens of thousands. Right. On a rudimentary display. So let's let's take gloves for an example. Gloves come in six sizes from mm-hmm. extra small through 2XL. And you're going to want two of each. So right now, you're into 12 gloves mm-hmm. just for one model. Yeah. Each glove is 50 bucks. So you've just spent $600 on one model of glove. Now, that's not a, a display. You want at least six or seven yeah. models. So you've just spent $4,000 on a very small display of gloves. Now you get into the helmets. Now you get into mm-hmm. the socks. It's You can spend a fortune just yeah. based on I know, sizes. I know. And uh, Phil at Cleveland Moto has talked about getting out of it. Yet when yep. I was at Phil's shop, I was like, oh, let me look at all this stuff. And I came home with a... A jacket that I didn't really need, but I'm like, oh, this is cool. I'm just one of those people who loves to go to shops and see stuff. Um, so it's just disappointing that you really can't do that. But I understand because I'm part of the problem because I buy all my stuff online. So I get it. But um, but, you, but you almost came home with an Indian. <laughs> I did. Not a person. I Not did. Person. <laughs> I said, don't let me buy a bike. But it there, was close. <laughs> but there is a bike I, I'm probably going to get in the future near future mm. and it is a chieftain and no because i know you've got you've you've got some history with india are you, are you going for are you going for the plat tracker sort of yes oh yeah yes yeah, yeah, sort of so uh, the first clue what bike it is they they retail i think around seven hundred dollars oh yeah. the electric <laughs> no, well no. Oh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So they, Emma, have you seen these? It's the kids' FTR electric mini bike. Yes. yes. Oh God, oh. aren't they fantastic? God, they had some there. Yeah. I've, I've seen them online. I almost bought one online. Um, I think if you could have strapped it to the back of your bike, you would have, you would have walked out. With you it. know what? <laughs> I know. I know. They do look cool. I mean, I and I'm like, I already got an electric mini bike at the shop. But you but, need another one so someone can race Oh, no. <laughs> uh, you know what almost got me? It has nice spoked wheels and real, like, right? real gold? wheels. No, they weren't gold. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's pretty sweet. Um, uh, You know, I'm probably going to get one eventually. Well, even, you should, even if I hang I mean, it on the wall. I just think it's so cool. I just wish I had a kid yeah. to, to buy it for. But, yeah, that was fun. John, what did you see? On our travels, well, anything that you saw? That you know, I, I, it was. I haven't really looked at the Royal Enfields up close, um, yes. so it was really good to to see them. And and you know, I'm impressed. Although I have a a, a slight issue with the uh, with the side covers, but um, oh, but they're just <laughs> they're 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 coming together really nice. I'm super impressed by them um, for the most part. And of course, I you know I love the Husqvarna's and some of the dual sports stuff we saw yesterday. 
I'll tell you what I liked about the Royal Enfield. Emma, I was actually really impressed to see, because I was looking at those and going, why aren't the hipsters all over these Royal Enfields? It's the right price margin. It's got that retro thing. And then I saw the thing. I realized, oh, they are going for it. They had a whole case there of accessories to go with Royal Enfields, like a leather satchel and a mug and uh, pins and like all the things. Wait, just you just hold on there. Are you stereotyping hipsters? Oh, no, I'm saying it was really cool. All the things that they had. Yeah, you can obviously see they were catering to. Right. To the hipsters, and they have all these accessorized accoutrements. You yes, know? and they were quality stuff. Oh, yeah, I mean, it yeah, wasn't, yeah. Oh, I like the way they were put together, and it just had a, a good style factor in all of it. Yeah, it I mean, was it it's a style. Shirts, yeah. You know? Well, you yeah. know. Um, and even the shirts. We, I always right, bought one yeah. of the shirts. Royal Enfield is in an interesting position. It, it's kind of a lot of ways in the same boat as Harley. Yeah. It's a very nostalgic feeling bike now you say john you say well hang on triumph's got some nostalgic models and it does but it's also got some very very modern ones as well whereas the entire range of enfields and to a certain extent the entire range of harley davidson with the exception of the live wire you know they're they're kind of nostalgic they're kind of looking back with rose tinted spectacles and that's a marketable thing. Nostalgia's big business. And so by doing these accessories and by doing them with old school quality out of good materials and good leather, very smart in my book, um, Royal Enfield's come a long, long way. If you'd have bought Royal Enfield 20 years ago, you'd have been a little disappointed with the fit and finish, especially if you'd mm -hmm. been brought up on a diet of Japanese bikes because nobody bolts together a bike like the Japanese manufacturers. Nobody. But they've gotten so good, particularly in the last five or six years, they've really been working on quality control. And they've kept all the nice old world things that we know and love with Royal Enfields, like handline gas tanks. And, you know, proper red lead undercoating on the frame and stuff like that. But they've actually brought the rest of the quality up. So I think it's a real alternative now. And the twins are absolutely good. Yeah, I was really yeah. impressed. The yeah, the Interceptors. Incredible. Just, yeah, they're wonderful. And I like the Himalayan, too. It's a little yeah. bit fugly, but I like it a lot. You know, the Himalayan... I'm sorry, Bagel. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, the Himalayan... The cockpit on the Himalayan looks like it belongs in a Sopwith camel. It's wonderful. <laughs> no, no, I'm glad to hear that their quality control has gotten better. But mm -hmm. what concerns me more is has their metallurgy gotten better? Because that's one of the things that I heard was was one of the the, the Achilles heels on the uh, on the Royal Enfields. Well, the what I've heard about Royal Enfields is. The R&D department is quite dynamic, and they've been listening very, very carefully to the dealer feedback from the customers, which is really how it should work. Yeah. A lot of manufacturers will say, well, this is the product, and that's what you're getting. 
Whereas Royal Enfield is 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 very flexible and responsive to the market. And mm. yes, um, the metallurgy complaints have been coming in. And as far as I'm aware, Royal Enfield have been working very, very hard to mitigate that. And there's always going to be some exceptions to the rule. Um, you know, I've heard the Himalayan is an example. Some of the early models did have some um, problems based on poor choice of materials. But mm. as far as I'm aware, the 2020 and 2021 models are very, very good indeed. And good to hear. The, the thing is about Enfields, um, I was trying to think how to describe them. They're very charming bikes to ride. It's a very, very easy bike to fall in love with. They're very easy to ride. They're absolutely bursting with character. And they're, they're, it's, it's a very, very nice place to be. And they've worked very hard to make it so. Oh, I thought it was cool. And the other bike that surprised me that I saw there, that I'm not sure why it, why it exists, I'll just say. Um, you know, I love KTMs and, and uh, their adventures and their Dukes are really cool. But there was a bike that we saw there, and it was this. It was the Duke 200. Hmm. What? Now, yeah, the Duke 200. Interesting. Yeah, there was a couple of them there. Now... Mm -hmm. I mean, I know about the Duke 390, and really, the, for KTM, the 390 is their, I'm not going to say beginner bike, but introductory bike, small bike. Small bike. It's used yeah. for racing. It's also used as an introductory bike that somebody may then move up to, but it still is quite a capable bike. And even, um, you know, experienced riders will buy one if they want something small and nimble for doing tight turns, stuff like that. Um, so, the, I mean, and, and the price point in the 390 is pretty good, so... The Duke 200 here in the U.S. I'm not sure what its well, purpose is. It's it's a retail prices 4K four grand. Oh wow! Why compared to how much for the 390? I didn't price that one out. I can look that up. That's probably at least six or seven grand, right? Um, I mean, because because it, that I mean because that sounds like they're they're trying to put out a a true beginner bike because a 200 you know that's that's a great. Great bike for anybody to start riding on. Right. So, fifty-five hundred. Okay, and I'll bet you, I'll bet you anything that that bike is a one twenty-five in Europe, and they bumped yes. it up to a two hundred for the U.S. Oh, market. Yeah. yeah, I'm just wondering. And so it is with the Suzuki DR two hundred. You mm -hmm. know, everyone's forgotten about the DR two hundred. Yeah. But Suzuki sold a lot of them. Yeah, but that's being used in dirt. No, 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 I know it's no. a dual sport, but... It's a dual sport bike. Yeah, the majority still. of two DR200s never saw dirt in their life. Mm. They're well, just a capable little street bike. So, you know, there's kind of method to I'm it. I'm wondering if this is KTM's response to all of the Honda 125s. Could be. Yeah. And, and because pretty, they know... It's pretty tall, though. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say that they, they probably know that, that the U.S. market is a little iffy on 125s. Um, like, they're great for a novelty, like the, yeah. the monkey bike and the the, um, the cub that well, they brought back. shut your mouth. But, the Grom is well, the Grom, everywhere. Yeah, right. It's But it's still a novelty bike. It's not a bike that people are, are mm. seriously riding for the most part they, for, they, like, like heavy commuter you they, know, purposes. They travel in packs. Well, yes, I know, but, that, but that's the novelty, though. Yeah, exactly. But I'm saying, like, somebody's not going to buy a Grom as for a commuter bike for the most part. 
But this 200, a beginner definitely could could pick that up and use that as an everyday all-purpose bike to ride, you know, whatever they need to do. Yeah, I thought, it, I thought a, it was interesting. I just point. I just I don't know. know. I think I think they may have missed the market a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> If I, and I mean, you know, it's, it's, I'm not privy to the same information that KTM have got, but what I would do is I would find the manufacturer that put together the TNT 125 Benelli, mm-hmm. get them right. to make them for me, paint them orange, put KTM on it, <laughs> and then there's your Grom yeah. killer. Right. What are, what are the specs on this bike? Like top speed and stuff? Oh, man, I'm not that? prepared to answer. Hold on. I don't know. It's, this, it's a full size bike. Um, let's see. The KTM. Are you considering a motorbike bagel? <laughs> no, no, not exactly. But but I like I like the idea that they are actually actually marketing and developing bikes that are in the scooter engine size right. range. Uh, they're calling you it know, the Baby Duke. <laughs> there you go. That works. <laughs> the Baby Duke. Uh, three and a half gallon tank. Uh, oh, there's a song that goes with that. Baby Duke. (laughs) 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 But three and a half gallons on a 200. And it's a six speed. Ooh, Ooh, lots of gears. You know, that that actually, that sounds like, you know, a a pretty impressive bike for a small engine size. Because... Three and a half gallons on the 200 cc. You could oh, probably do 400 miles on that. I think I found Bagel. out. I think I found out what this is about. Okay. Bagel's considering an extra marital affair with a motorbike. The <laughs> scooters are going to be broken-hearted, darling. Maybe a test ride. Uh, okay. Well, you know where that leads. <laughs> I just found a whole like information on it from an Indian, like in India. I yeah. think this is made for the Indian market. Oh, and mm. then maybe they just yeah. So it's I think it's made for the India market, um, and they. It's a huge here. market. Well, hey, yeah. you know, I I think that there is potential for that in in the U.S. for you know as a, as a true beginner bike for people who you know who like the KTM lineup. Um, you know if that if that can if, and the two hundred should be able to do do freeway speeds I would think, so. Yeah, even though it won't, you know, be able to keep up with you know the big bikes, I think that's that's a a, a really good position to be in a U.S. market uh, where people are you know seem to be gravitating towards smaller bikes. Yeah, um, yeah, I just find it. Yeah, I just found it interesting. And and uh, if it's got a low seat height, that's an even bigger selling point because then people who are smaller, shorter in stature. We'd have less of a problem riding it too. Thirty-one point nine inches seat height. That's a little high. So, um, Emma, just as we were going around and looking at all these different bikes, uh, there's yes. another bike there that's like, one. It's on my radar. It's I'll, I may own one one day bike, and that is the Honda CRF 450L. Oh, that's a lovely bike if you can afford it. Yeah. <laughs> so here's my question, to you, and this is yeah, something I was trying to figure out. So, um. The CRF 250 was just replaced by the 300. So they have the CRF 300L. Yes. You can get the CRF 450 RL, and then they still have the old XR 650L. Yes. Right? Um, So I just priced out some of them because I'm trying to understand how pricing works. 
So on the CRF300L, the rally version, which is a little more, that's like what Jim has, that retails for 6 k If you want the CRF450RL, it's 10 k And my question is, for another 150 cc's, four grand? What's the four grand for? Well, what you're basically buying is a competition bike which is capable of winning competitions with lights on it. Mm-hmm. That's what you're paying for. Mm-hmm. Performance costs money. Now, that's only half of it because the buy-in is heavy enough, but the maintenance schedule on that bike is wild. Mm-hmm. And... You know, you're talking um, engine teardown every three ten thousand miles. I mean, it's it's nuts Ooh, because geez. it's a competition bike. Really? But to be able to put one of those on the street and experience that on the street, that's what you're paying money for. Now, mm-hmm. if we go back to the venerable XR650L, which, by the way, has a retail price of seven thousand, so. The 300L is 6,000, the 650L is 7,000. Right. And what you're basically buying there is a 35-year-old bike, yeah. a brand new 35-year-old bike that's have it had even less development than the KLR650. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm. The KLR650 has been upgraded over the years. The XR650L <clears throat> is unchanged. It's absolutely unchanged throughout its production run, except for graphics, of course. Um, Yeah, and 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 the longer you run something, then the cost goes down each year because you have to factor in, like, the tooling and and, and everything. So Mm -hmm. I get it. But um, it just – I find that there's a disparity because you get a lot of bikes. You can go up. You can look at the – we were talking about the Duke 390, the Duke 690, you know, 990. It keeps going up, right? Um, Right. Same with – you got the – Versus 650 and the Versus 1000. Versus 650 is what, like seven grand? And the Versus 1000 was like, was it like 12 grand or something? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 12 or 13. It's like, yeah. well, once that's again, the I'm basic like, one. That's well, the like basic whoa, one. why does it go up so much more just for a little bit bigger engine? Be- well, you've got to compare apples with apples here. Okay. See, let's have a look at the Versus 650 for a start. You've got a 650 twin-cylinder engine, which is about, what, 70 horsepower? Um, It's a pretty basic platform. You can bolt a lot of stuff to it, but it's a pretty basic platform. And it's been around for a long, long time. Now, the Versus 1000, for a start, you've grown a couple of cylinders. It's a four-cylinder bike. It's not like the V-Strom 650 and the 1050, which are both V-twins. The Versus 1000 is a four-cylinder bike. It's based on an Enger engine. Um, And Kawasaki, to a certain extent, regard it as a flagship bike. It's up there with the ZX-14 and the Concourse. I mean, it's considered a high-end aspirational bike. And that 13,000 versus 1,000 is the entry-level model. You can get the kitchen sink model, which has got everything on it, which is 20 grand. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
You know, Kawasaki are approaching it differently. They approach the Versus 650 really as a blank canvas that you can do what you want to it. Oh, whoa. The Versus 1000 is list price 18000 Well, that's the posh one. And the Oof. 650 is like eighty two ninety nine. Right. So that's a yeah, huge but, leap. But look at the difference in specs. And, and that is the LT. The that's the touring. So the yeah. luggage and all the stuff. Yes. The luggage and the cornering mm -hmm. lights and the gyro and the ABS and the traction control and the modes. And it's a, an absolute kitchen sink model. Everything Kawasaki know about electronic stability control and traction is on that bike. So you're saying it's always worth it because it's all well, in the components that you're getting. It's in the... If you the want gadgets, the gadgets. I'm going to stick my neck out here. I think Kawasaki make money on every Versus 650 they sell. Mm -hmm. I sure. think Kawasaki probably lose money on every Versus mm. 1000 LT they sell. Mm -hmm. In terms of recouping their R&D costs and everything? Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, developing a sophisticated motorbike like that ain't cheap no and then and selling an eighteen thousand dollar motorbike because believe me by the time you've paid freight by the time you've paid pdi and tax and everything you're writing a check for 20 large and, right. and it's and a lot of money for a motorbike yeah any bike that costs that much is going to be a low volume bike because your market's right. limited but you've spent a bloody fortune on it and yeah. kawasaki are okay with that because like a lot of the other manufacturers they're like this is a flagship bike. This is how we showcase our technology. This is how we show what we can do. You know? And, and yeah, I wonder yeah. if they write off a lot of the costs as, as marketing. Oh, I'm sure they do. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I just yeah. I just find it very interesting looking at the <laughs> prices of stuff and, and trying to figure out would I ever benefit from that, you know? Right. I mean, as considering that there are a lot of very good bikes under ten grand. Yeah. You know, the yeah. Yamaha's making a lot of bikes, the MTO nine, MTO seven. T seven. They're making yeah. really good bikes for under ten grand. So I'm always kind of shocked when I see things like, you know, the price tag on the Versus one thousand. I'm like, whoa, because the Versus six fifty, not ABS, the one I had or any of that stuff, but it was a very good bike. Very responsive, did all the things I needed it. Um, so yeah, I just found it interesting. Yeah, but the market for the thousand really is going after the GS market. So if you compare a GS fully loaded to a versus thousand fully loaded, I would say the better value is the versus thousand. Yeah. You know, you're not lobbing twelve grand off. Well, Emma, you you're talking about um, you know, sophisticated bikes. You want to talk about a sophisticated bike of its time? The Vincent? Well, so I've got a bike in my workshop right now. And um, it ain't just a Vincent. It's a very special Vincent. Ooh. It's one really? of a few. Ooh. So it's an egg-lie framed Vincent. Ooh. So it's absolutely the best of what Britain had to offer and what Switzerland had to offer. And I thought it's an opportunity. I'm not going to do a history all on Vincent today. I have a question. I, yes. 
I'm just curious. Is this thing assembled in your garage right now? It, no, it's in pieces now. In pieces. It came to me assembled, but I pulled How it How long apart. until you think it's going to be assembled for, f- not running, assembled? For like um, f- probably a month. Okay, and I'm just curious, how much would you charge somebody to come to a private photo session naked on that bike? <laughs> it, it, um, it, depends how ac- it depends how acceptable their body is. Because John is very interested. <laughs> In a motorsexual fashion. Well, who I, I got be? no problem. I'll, okay. Let's go. Rolling well, freestyle? Know, yeah, I mean, John's a, ha- John's a handsome guy. I don't have a problem with it. I don't want any ugly-ass spotty men in my garage. I was just thinking that could be a whole other like, income you can create, doing yeah. photo shoots naked on, on pictures of beautiful me on bikes. Pictures of John naked on bikes. You could do a calendar. Yeah. <laughs> just, just sign up on OnlyFans and people will flock to you. It's March, so here's John naked on a Benelli tornado. <laughs> April, <laughs> April, we're going to see him naked on a Harley oh Davidson topper. Oh, <laughs> can he, and can he do the, the, the whole Raleigh free pose on each of them? Oh, yeah. No, I think, well, Dude. you know, that has to be our next calendar, man. Just, well, you just <laughs> hang on now because. Um, hey, we'll give a free one to every Patreon listener. You know, <laughs> John, John and Bagel, you know, they've both got fine beards. So I think mm-hmm. we could do a mashup of the Roly Free and the Burt Reynolds Centerfold. <laughs> we could do like the Burt Reynolds Centerfold pose <laughs> on the Vincent. Well, and I see, I see a, a scooter catalog with Bagel there, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is true. All right. Something to work on. Sorry. I just had yes. a brain fart there. So, um, anyway, so I've got this thing kicking around in my garage and I'm doing an engine build on it. I thought, you know, Eggly or Eggly. Eggly. Oh, thank you, darling. Eggly. Eggly. It's a car. (laughs) Eggly. It's not something I know a massive amount about. So I thought I'll do a little bit of research and find out what it's all about and share it as a minery mineral <laughs> as a mini <laughs> as a mineral me, 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 me. have as some more mini... whiskey darling some gin yes i've been at the gin uh, <laughs> a mini history hole because it is quite interesting um cool so eagly what is an what is an eagly um so it was born out of motorcycle racing Ooh. and Back in the 1960s, there were a ton of frame builders, motorcycle racers, and they were all trying to achieve the same thing. They were trying to go as fast as possible, there you go, with as small as possible weight. Now, the ones you've Mm. heard of, I'm sure, are Don and Derek Rickman. Who formed mm-hmm. Rickman Motorcycles? Mm-hmm. Paul Dunstall, mm-hmm. who formed Dunstall Motorcycles. Um, Dave Deegans, who's Dave Deegans? Well, he made Dresda Motorcycles. Mm. And all these guys have the same thing in common. They're all motorcycle racers who decided that they could do better than what the manufacturers were giving them. 
So now these are all English guys. So let's move to Switzerland and talk about Fritz Egli. Egli? Egli. Egli. <clears throat> so Fritz Egli, he was born in 1937. So right around 1960, uh, I beg your pardon, right around 1962-63, he started racing. You know, 15, 16 years old. And he was quite successful at it, but he was always looking for more power. He was always looking for more rigid handling. Now, in 1965 was a turning point. He'd gotten hold of a Vincent engine. And you've got to trust me on this. Vincent's are wonderful, wonderful engines. I've had a few in my life over the years. I've loved every single one. But, oh, God, I'm going to upset so many people right now. <laughs> they are not the best handling bike in the world. They are not the best braking motorcycle in the world. Right. Well, was any bike in, in that era? There you go. And right. it's easy to forget how old they are. Right. Because the time of the Vincent was or the Vincent as we know it, the Vincent that pops into our head, is immediate post-war. We're talking 1947 right, to the mid-50s. Now, mm -hmm. were the Vincents before the war? Yes, of course they were. But I'm talking about the classic 1,000cc V-twin with those knuckle-shaped cylinder heads, that giant timing case. Is, this, one is, thing is this what you have in your garage, Emma? Yes. I really yes. want to sit on that naked... Oh my yes. God, that is a good looking bike. <laughs> so, oh, I got dibs on that. <laughs> oh, wow. Has anyone so, asked the owner yet? <laughs> so the one, in my the one in my garage has actually got a chrome tank on it. Oh, so stop it. Oh, oh, so you just did it for me. Stop really it. Sexy. Ah. <laughs> so in 1965, Fritz Egli. Hold on. I just have to announce that uh, Holly has entered the room. Ah. Hi, Holly. Wow. <laughs> Hi, Holly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you may hear some yeah. of that. Go ahead. So, okay, um, Holly. He'd gotten hold of this Vincent, and the one thing Vincent's have always been very, very good at is making big horsepower. Mm -hmm. Now, let's go back to 1965. You're going to say, well, why a Vincent? So, let's have a think about what engines were available. In 1965. Small ones? No, just if you British. want a big power yeah. engine. Yeah. If you want a You're big horsepower engine, what are you going to choose? The 750 isn't invented yet. Yeah. Mm. The Honda 450. Now, Honda have got all kinds of exotic yeah. GP racers. Doesn't mean you could buy one. The Triumph Trident, which is a big horsepower engine. Hasn't been invented yeah. yet. Or it has, but it hasn't been released. You know, the Trident was on the drawing board from 62, but it wasn't released till 68. Norton's? Yeah, Norton's are lusty engines, but they're the same as Triumph mm. Twins. It's yeah. like a 45, 50 horsepower engine. And, and not the Heinkel 175? Yeah, <laughs> here you go. <laughs> what is that, 12 horsepower? Eight? <laughs> uh, it might be nine, I think. But... If you want a big horsepower tunable engine, Vincent makes sense. 
And as bizarre as it sounds, back in the mid-60s, you could actually pick these things up quite cheaply. Yeah. And with a few modifications, you could make it make big horsepower. So Fritz Egli decided that he'd got the horsepower he wanted. He needed some handling to go with it. So he came up, his idea for a frame was using a very, very large diameter, in fact, 120 millimeters, which is what, four inches? A solid backbone above the engine, which in the Vincent's case carried the oil, mm -hmm. and all straight edges. One of the hallmarks of, a, of an Egley frame is everything is straight, hmm. and it's called triangulation, and that's how you make things strong. Yeah. By using straight edges, preferably made into a triangle. In nature, a triangle is a very, very strong shape. Rigid. So by triangulating the frame and using the engine as a, a stressed member, you can make a very, very rigid setup. Who do you think was doing the best forks and suspension back then? Triumph? The, the Italians. Ah. Oh. So, Seriani forks, mm -hmm. big fin drum brakes. Um, as far as I know, back then, Fontana um, and CMA weren't actually put on Eglies. They've been put on them since, but back then... It was Italian stuff. And so he ended up with a very, very rigid high-power racer. And, of course, he did very, very well with it. He made quite a few of these Vincent engine specials with his frame. And a lot of connoisseurs actually regard them as ground zero for Egley motorcycles. But he didn't stop with... The Vincents. In the late 60s, 69, what bike appeared? Oh, that's the yeah, CB750, CB. yeah. CB750. Yeah. CB750 changed motorcycling overnight. We all know why, and we, we've delved into this in a previous history hole. But once again, it's a great bike, but it's a little bit overweight, and the handling wasn't all it could be. So naturally... Egley decided to make a frame for that mm -hmm. using the same principles that he used for the Vincent. What came in 1973? Kawasaki oh. Z1. And if you think the CB750 rocked the world, the Z1 just blew it out of the water. Oh. So now he's making a frame for that. And they all featured the same basic setup, a four-inch diameter top tube, which in the case of the CB750 carried the oil. Obviously, the Kawasaki was a wet sump engine. A few were actually converted to dry sump for racing, but mm. and then you could use that top tube as, a, as an oil reservoir, but with the triangulated frame. And his frame was actually copied over and over and over again. Um, Dunstall copied his frame. The Rigman brothers, they always incorporated curves in their frame, but the basic principles were the same. 
a dead copy for his frame was by um, a manufacturer called Healy. And Healy did a conversion using the Aerial Square 4 engine. And if you if you want to Google a Healy Square 4, that is an absolute knockoff of the Egley design done by an English manufacturer. Hmm. We can see remnants of his frame design even now in modern bikes. The gold standard for frame building is triangulation. And he was the first one that really put it to the most practical use. Right now, Egley frames, Egley frame bikes are particularly coveted. You've got a very, very exclusive Swiss frame. You know, you add a very exclusive English engine. There you are. There's a Healy Square 4 that Liza's showing us. Mm -hmm. um, that's a dead knockoff of Fritz Egli's frame. So, Emma, these frames were um, were made, provided to the manufacturers, or was it all totally aftermarket? And were they all race applications? No, they were sold as bikes, and they were sold in road-going oh, trim. Were. Yeah, hmm. they were sold as road-going trim. So, basically... Um, Egley had two ways. You could buy a bespoke ready-made bike with a brand new engine in it, or say it's 1973. Let's, let's get transported back to 1973. And you decide you want an Egley Vincent. You could send him, you could send him your Vincent and he'd convert it and ship you the stuff back. Or conversely, nice. you could say, I just want it and he'd source you an engine. Wow. Emma? Yes. Uh, I just looked up some of the values of these. Uh, <laughs> how much is the one worth in your garage right now? Are you allowed to say? Um, It's probably worth about half what my house is worth. <laughs> uh, these are really expensive Six bikes. Six figures at least. Oh. Well, you know, exclusivity. Would you like to see oh. a picture of it? Yeah. Um, I'll hold it up to the camera. Yeah. Hold on. Well, Let me show no, you. I'm going to wait for the picture with John naked on it. I'm good. Are okay. you sure? No. <laughs> I would. <laughs> oh, let's see. Uh, yeah. Ooh, that is a sexy bike. Nice. Beautiful. Wow. That's it sitting in the back of the El Camino. Man. And I will show you it with no is that, clothes on. Is that a, no, is that like a sixty to $70,000 bike? Oh, no. It's Double that. Oh, Six geez. figures, at least. Yeah, wow. That's wow. what it looks oh, like with no yeah. clothes Oh, on. my God. Wow. It's even sexier without its clothes on. <laughs> <laughs> so does the value go up when I take wow. my naked picture on it? <laughs> yeah, I think, actually, John, I'm going to stick my neck out here. If you were to pose naked on any bike, mm -hmm. I think we could double the value of the bike. Uh, I'm going to say I, you and the bike should both be naked. Just be careful about the intake. That's all. Um, you know, I truthfully, I think the only prerequisite, uh, John, I think you should keep your cap on and your boots. <laughs> you know, that's just a great idea. Cap and boots, nothing else. You know, go for the go for the good, solid working class thing. But no, I think you could you could quite easily double the value of any machine. You know, especially just, if I shave my back. Yeah, just you know, <laughs> because aerodynamics. 
No, I, you know, I, I kind of like the hirsute look. It's, it's kind of the bear thing. Just, you know, make sure you keep your junk off the battery, you know, because... You don't want to short that out, trust you me. Oh, and you don't want 12 volts being pounded through there. So, you know, if you're grounded oh, on the frame and you touch the positive terminal... I, yeah. would, I would just like to, to say, this is a little side note, um, I gave John's son... A ride on the back of my bike today. He's a big lad, isn't he? He's a very big lad. I was squished up against a tank, and I turned to him. And I said, "This is what you call nut to butt, son, and also nut to small and lower back." Like, He's a big boy. Um, meanwhile, we, we're going off on a tangent. So anyway, um, dear Fritz is still alive right now. And the best news is he'll sell you an eggly right now. Wow. On Valentine's Day 2021, if you give the eggly corporation enough money, they will sell you a bike. Is there any way I can get a small one for the wall in here? Um, (laughs) You know... I'd love to know if it Tamiya or someone ever did a model, right? but I would not be surprised. But they are glorious it. looking things. And of course, one of the hallmarks of the frame is they're nickel plated. And nickeling nice. is I love nickel plating. It's got a beautiful kind of antique patina, even when it's new. And yeah, um, yeah it, they're just glorious looking things. And nice. the thing is. With the Eggly, which I noticed when I was lugging it in the back, in, in and out of the truck, they are so agile and just lightweight. Mm-hmm. It's a, it pushes around like a 250. Yeah. Now, of course, wow. the bike came to me as a non-runner, so I've got to build the engine. But I am so looking forward to riding it because just by pushing it, you can feel that the balance is perfect. The weight distribution is, is perfect. The poise is just perfect. That's cool. And um, it's, a, it's a delight. It's an absolutely delightful thing. And with a big horsepower Vincent engine in it, um, and I'm putting cams in this thing, I'm putting pistons in it, I'm doing some rod work, I'm doing some lightning and balancing on the crank. I mean, I'm... I'm going for about a 90 horsepower engine. It's going to be quite something. I have to say, I'm I'm feeling a little metosexual right now, and everything you're saying is making it worse. <laughs> oh God, sorry, dear. Now I, you I have, have to a... leave the room. <laughs> <laughs> now I have a question to to uh, possibly ramp up this motor motosexual oh, uh, attention here. Um, now there's another bike or a series of bikes that was produced during that same time frame where Eggly was very active. And I'm wondering if he built frames for those engines as well. Um, these bikes were notorious, notorious about their poor handling, the Kawasaki triples. Was there an Eggly Kawasaki triple? I don't think so. I found oh, Eggly Hondas. I didn't find that. Because, and- yeah, because a Kawasaki triple with good handling? Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. And I've n- I really don't think there um, ever was one. I'm seeing maybe Egley Kawasaki Z nine hundred. 
Right. You mentioned the Z900. I oh, think it. Hold on. An What's that? 1980 Egley Turbo Kawasaki. There's a big horsepower Whoa. engine. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, I'll find out a little more, Bagel, because you're putting me oh, on the spot oh, here. Wait. Okay. I found video. Oh. Of an Egley Kawasaki H2. There you oh, go. Oh, wow. That's obviously race only. Yes. But, yeah. oh, my God, that is cool. <laughs> and it's got gold wheels. <laughs> right? <laughs> Very cool. Emma, you've like other... introduced us to a whole nother bike to be motosexual about. Well, you know, there's <laughs> there's so many of them. And they're kind of like the forgotten stepchild of motorcycling because we all get excited about Z1s. We all get excited about 750 Hondas. But just do a Google search on a Dresda. Honda 750, the most marvelous looking thing. And then, of course, you've got the other frame builder, Tony Fole, who came up with this revolutionary front end that really are kind of almost like a leading link for racing engines. You know, hmm. these were really true innovators who took not the best handling machines and really turned them into something that was very, very special. Look at this, mm -hmm. an ugly water buffalo. There you go. Oh, <laughs> wow. good lord. Uh, I think we found Emma's perfect date. <laughs> <laughs> That's I'm, going, I'm going to have to leave but the room. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so there you go. Frame builders of the 60s and 70s. Yeah. And and it's, it's, it's a really interesting look back into that time, too, because that was also a time when you know just anybody could could start building bikes and selling them you know there, right. there wasn't the you know the the regulations and requirements that they have today for production motorcycles where you have to meet all of these standards right where you could just build the bike that you wanted to build and people wanted to buy and you could sell it and you know that's i mean it's just thinking thinking back to that time that's that's a really cool Era it's kind of the to, Wild West, isn't it? Yeah, and it, it, much it's so. kind of a, it is a cool time. You know, any motorcycle car, packet of cornflakes that's sold in Europe, you're going to see a big E in a circle somewhere yeah. on it. Yep. And that means it's met type approval. And in yep. order to get that E, and you can't sell anything in Europe without it, you've right. got to jump through all these hoops. And unfortunately, with motorcycles, and cars. It basically means you've got to crash one into a wall. Right. Um, and for the small manufacturer, because basically Egley, like Dave Deegans, like the Rickman brothers, like Paul Dunstall, started in a shed. Right. And if you've built this gorgeous thing, the last thing you want to do is build another one solely to crash into a wall. Right. And and Egley's in Switzerland, which is not part of the EU, so they're still able to, to build custom bikes like this. Uh bagel. Uh, yes. I found an Egley Vespa. What? 
No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but it's an ugly <laughs> Harley Davidson. <laughs> wow. Oh, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Now look wow. at the triangulation on that frame. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, I was trying to imagine Eggly with the bajaj. Just as a side note, I wanted to say that the Eggly was actually improved of all things by an Australian engineer whose name really? escapes me for now. And hmm. let's see if I can find out who his, his, uh, um, his name was. The one improvement, because... Eglies really have changed very little. Um, ooh. Ooh. What'd you find? Oh, she found another Eggly, <laughs> didn't you? No. I mean, it's a rabbit hole you can go down. Just Google <laughs> Eggly, E-G-L-I. I wonder if Fritz Eggly's father was a bicycle racer. Oh. Could be. So anyway, um... No, it doesn't give his name. Mm -hmm. However, the one big change came to the frame in 1979 when an Australian enthusiast visited the factory and suggested, you know, I've said that the top tube of the frame, this four-inch diameter tube, which is the critical part of the frame, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he suggested adding rigidity by including a honeycomb inside the frame. Mm. And apparently Fritz was so impressed with that from that point forward, from 79 onwards, every single egg leaf frame had the honeycomb within that top spine. Mm. So there wow. you go. But how did they get the bees out? Cool. Um, they tempted them out <laughs> with pollen. With pollen. <laughs> and then in, in right the, underneath the, the petcock. Right underneath the petcock, you had the petcock and you turned on the fuel. And right next to it was the gold-colored petcock that you turned on to get the honey. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Emma, do you ever watch the Fortnite videos? No. Well, uh, he does a lot of really cool stuff, but there's one that's... I, think I like one the Fortnite one. <laughs> yeah, Fort, Fort. Uh, <laughs> That's one of the most popular videos he's done that a lot of people have seen, and it's... Him trying to kill a KLR. And it's pretty funny. I think I might have seen, might have seen and, that one. Yeah, it's yeah. a good one. But here's the question, Emma. Is the KLR killable? No. <laughs> it is the cockroach of motorcycling. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to get you two, to you three, to discuss that amongst yourselves while I go for a quick pee. you got to run out. you got to run out. Of pee, and then I'll be well, back and I'll see what conclusions you've come to. So, well, John. I, I oh, will, yeah. Go ahead. I was, I was going to say that, that any motorcycle is killable. It just, it just depends on how hard you try. Yeah. Well, John, what, exactly did I say, right. what did I say when you got the KLR? <laughs> well, try to kill that bike, John. <laughs> <laughs> and, and your son tr tried really hard today. <laughs> he tried. Yeah, he almost came. He came real close. He came real close to a motor out. <laughs> so, so your son, he's, he's new to riding. He's, he's taken the test, yeah. so he knows how to ride, but he's still new. Um, and he's a large man. He is large. He is a large, and in charge. large man. Um, and he put him on that KLR, and it's like, well, you know, he can do it. Um, but you, you guys were out riding, and then you left the garage today, and you called short time later, and you're like, well, 
I think he killed it. I'm like, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know how you could kill it. I mean, God, Fortnite, he tried to kill it. He couldn't kill it. So I drove up to come meet you. And I'm like, well, I think you killed it. Uh, it was, um, it was stuck in gear and I couldn't get it out of gear. Pulling the shifter up did nothing and putting it mm-hmm. down. It felt kind of, loose and it kind of made like a almost a rattle sound when i kicked it down but i could roll the engine i could roll the bike and get the engine to turn over so i knew the engine wasn't seized and by doing that sometimes you can realign the transmission and be able to shift it i couldn't so Mm. um we had to go back and get the trailer and come get it and we were talking like well how much you think it's going to cost for a frame out (laughs) rebuild Emma, by the way, yeah. how much would an estimate on a frame-out uh, transmission rebuild on a KLR cost? What would be your um, estimate? I mean, it's essentially quite a simple bike. I'd have mm-hmm. to look at the flat rate time. I would say flat rate on it, um, it's probably eight or nine hours. So just extrapolate mm-hmm. that, yeah. 150 an yeah, hour. That's kind of what we said. Yeah. yeah. Plus parts. Yeah. So yeah, I would grand. suggest, yeah. let's say it's eight hours. So in terms of labor, 12. you're into 1200 mm-hmm. And then throw in a couple of gears. It's a $2,000 job. Yeah. Um, On a $5,000 bike. <laughs> and, and, it, and, and this wasn't just a simple issue of the clutch not disengaging or something? So we went and got the bike and brought it back to the garage. And let's just say right. Emma had it fixed in about 30 seconds flat. Mm-hmm. She did, yeah. Yeah. And ah, I'm kind of embarrassed yeah, I didn't just- think of it. But now that I get know what happened, it made sense. Emma, you want to describe what you found? Well, let's go back to um let's do a crash scene investigation. <laughs> yeah. So right now <laughs> Right there now, are reasons for the we're, 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 we're CSI Santa Cruz. <laughs> and whenever you attend um, a catastrophic event, mostly it's not a single event that led up to it. It's multiple events. There's a combination of factors. It is a combination with, of factors. Starting with a lost title. <laughs> right. So... Um, here are some of the factors that contributed to the problem. Um, Sam is an extremely large lad. Um, Sam also has extremely large feet. Oh, so we could partially blame Josh for this. Yeah, I mean, genetics yeah. do play a role in it. No, not John. Josh. Oh, Josh. Oh, well, I'm ah, coming to Josh. Yes. I'm coming to Josh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sam had also just received a brand well a brand new used pair of boots from um a gentleman who just donated them Mm -hmm. to the garage the week before yeah Um, and and i want to say that this is the the perfect example of of the the type of people we're giving gear to so john being a good dad you've got your kid outfitted in all the right gear he's got the jacket, the gloves, the pants, the helmet, and he's got 
giant legs and feet. I mean, he's he's a mountain. He's a mountain, right? <laughs> and he has not found boots that can fit around his thick calves. Oh wow! And so he's wearing sneakers. Yeah. So he came. That's down his protective wearing, equipment. Yeah. So he came down wearing sneakers, and um, basically, we kitted him out with some very, very thick sole, proper motorcycling MX boots, you know, with the armor around the front and the buckles yeah. on the side. And they fitted him perfectly. So that's one of the factors. And then the final factor, and I'm going to speculate here, but I think the gear shift itself wasn't tightened up as much as it should be on the spline. Mm-hmm. And what had happened was um, Sam is really still a very inexperienced motorcyclist. Um, he's passed his test. He's done the course, but he's still very much getting used to how a motorcycle feels. And I think the fact that he's got very, very big feet, and he's obviously a very, very powerful young man, and he'd got these giant frigging boots on. He semi, and this is the important thing, he semi-stripped the splines on the gear shift. Wow. And this is one of the fatal flaws of KLRs. They are unbreakable, but I have come across this a few times. Um, Liza, remind me, Cynthia, the dentist, Mm -hmm. what's her husband's name? Matt. Matt. Matt, who's an equally large guy, came down with a very, very similar problem on his KLR probably three or four years ago now. And it was the same thing. The gear shift spline, the shaft on a KLR, is tucked quite away into the engine. And immediately below it is a frame down tube. And immediately above it is the generator casing. So the gear shift has to take quite a tortuous route to clear both items. And if it misses on a spline, if it clicks around one spline, it will foul the gear shift on downshifting. And if it misses one spline moving up, it'll foul the generator case going up. So Mm -hmm. the adjustment is critical. And you've got to keep it tight. And I think Sam was probably still getting used to his boots and he was probably a little frustrated. And then that is the thing with MX boots, and I've had this experience before too. It's hard to feel the shifter. So you're just kind of like stabbing at it, you know? And he's, you know, he's a young guy, so he's got lots and lots of (laughs) testosterone pumping around his body. And he probably got a little bit frustrated, as young men do. (laughs) And he stamped on the gear shift and it just went click around one spline and from that point forward, you're not shifting anymore. And it was basically the gear shift clamshell on, on, the, on the lever itself had moved on the spline. So what I did, the bike came in, and I recognized it immediately, pulled off the gear shift, cleaned up the splines, did a little bit of remedial repair work on the gap, and then... Here's the thing which may surprise a lot of people is I actually greased it. I greased the splines and I greased the bolts. And what that does, what that grease does, it allows the splines to fully engage. 
So what mm. we've got to think about is we've got to think about a clock face. Think about a clock face. And at every 15 minutes, there's a tooth. Now, in order for the gear shift to be at its most effective, all the teeth have got to mesh. So when you tighten up the pinch bolt, all the teeth are meshing. If you do it dry and some of the teeth bind up, the bolt will go tight and you think it's tight, but it's not tight on all the splines. By cleaning everything up and greasing them, it's allowing that tiny bit of movement for all the teeth to mesh. So when you tighten it up and you get that final tight feeling, you know that every single tooth is engaged. So we did that, cleaned it up, greased it, put it back on, tightened it up. I gave it a test ride. It shifted perfectly. And then I came back and had a little talk with Sam. (laughs) And um, what I said to Sam was, I said, Sam, darling, are you a dog person or a cat person? I knew the answer straight away. And he said, I'm a dog person. And I said, well, Sam, here's what I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine there's a tiny, fragile little puppy's head attached to the gear shift. Now, if you're very, very gentle and very, very careful, he's going to be just fine. But if you stamp on it and smash it and crunch it, you're going to smash up the puppy's skull. And you don't want to kill a puppy, do you? And he's going, no, no. So I said, be gentle. Be gentle with it. Uh, and I'm guessing, John, he got home safe. A little wobbly, but he got home safe. <laughs> right. And, you know, that's that's the, the biggest mistake I see among novice riders and novice mechanics as well. A Japanese motorcycle is a precision machine. It's very, very carefully made. Even the cheaper entry-level models like KLR 650s, because... You know, a KLR650 is a lot of things, but an expensive bike isn't one of them. Mm-hmm. It's an entry-level bike. It can be your first big bike, but it's still a precision machine. And there's nothing on that bike that requires any force to ride it. If you're forcing something, you're mm-hmm. doing it wrong. And it's the same when you work on them, you know? Yeah, and, and also, uh, that's that's a really good point that you, you mentioned about the Japanese being precision machines, because I, I've i noticed that on Japanese bikes, the splines on the shafts are much, much smaller, much finer than they are on other bikes, like my scooters that I, that I work on, the vintage Vespas and Heinkels. Their splines are like at least a millimeter wide, but on the Japanese bikes, it's like maybe like a quarter of a millimeter, the tiny little splines. So, so that tip of putting the grease on there is, is fantastic. And I totally can see how that would, that would work because right. that allows everything to mesh without, without binding and, and mm-hmm. seizing up on, you know, metal to metal. Right. And, you know, um, it's an old trick I learned, of course, from messing about with old British sports cars because mm. – if we talk about MGs and triumphs that were made in the 1960s and Austin Healy's, they're all these, these fantastic wire wheels with a knockoff in the middle. Yep. And the way knockoff wheels works is instead of having a hub with studs coming through, you have a large diameter hub which is splined. Mm. And then it engages with 
a spline on the wheel and you push it over and then you tighten up the knockoff and it holds the wheel on. But you always need to put a little bit of grease on those splines to help it seat because a dry wheel, it'll bind up, it'll make you think it's tight when mm. it's not, and then it'll come flying off on the first corner. Mm. Um, but I Yikes. know, yeah, I know Sam felt kind of bad and I tried to reassure him a little bit and he's like, oh, it's that's bike. And I'm like, don't worry about it. There's a lot of factors. And I mean, even me, I don't, you know, I mean, you know me, I love my Jags and I don't wear them so much anymore as I used to when I was younger. But back when I was wearing platforms, I would get through breaks so quickly in my Jags because I can't, you know, you need a thin sole to feel the pedal. And, you know, I'd have these hmm. platforms on and I'd just be over-braking the car. And it's very, very <laughs> difficult to drive a car smoothly wearing platforms. You know, you're over-accelerating it and you're over-braking it. And so it is with bikes. You know, he, he was getting no feedback from the bike from his footwear. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, it, was, it wasn't his fault. And he's still learning. But you seem like a pretty <laughs> forgiving dad, John. Well, yeah, for a 15 minute fix, yes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Maybe for a $2,000 motor out, it'd be a different conversation. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that is actually one of the few flaws of Kawasaki. So if you're listening to this podcast right now and you've got a KLR 650, my best advice to you is go out to it right now and wobble the gear shift and make sure it's tight on its splines. And if it isn't, you can either tighten it up, or if you're feeling ambitious, pull it off. Just put a little bit of grease on the splines. Make sure you push it home completely so that the um, the end of the shaft is flush with the gear shift arm. Tighten it up nicely. Remember, it's only a 6 mil bolt, so you don't know, need to go bananas, but you need to make it snug and save yourself any embarrassing because if that gear shift strips in traffic, you're done. You're not moving the bike. And that's exactly yeah. what happened to and you guys. That's what happened, yep. Yeah. So and be sure to clean yeah, clean the splines off both the, the shafts and the lever as well. Just right. to make sure everything goes a back. A clean, clean spline is a happy spline. You know, if yeah. your gear shift has been wobbling about, what you're going to do is you're going to pull it off and all these little flakes of metal and God knows what are all going to fall off. Mm. And that's... That's part of the shaft and the gear shift. That's when you oh, weld yeah. it back on. Oh, God. I've seen that before as well. I've done that before. Yeah. Vice grips. Vice grips work. Yeah. <laughs> well, unfortunately, vice grips won't work in a KLR because you haven't mm -hmm. got room for them. Yep. It's right. it, That shaft is so recessed yeah. in there. And I always think that was kind of an odd piece of design for a ADV bike. Well, but it makes sense because remember the um, the Honda XL175 that I had that yes. had a very long shaft that was prone to snapping off. Right. Yeah. And and that's the thing, too, is that if the shaft sticks out from the engine and you go down, you have run the risk of breaking the shaft, potentially. Yeah. If the shaft hits the ground, if it's recessed, then you're only going to break the lever. And that's a much cheaper right. fix. Yeah. And that's true. Yeah. You know, um, Back when I was doing a lot more work on repairing Bonnevilles, there's a little, little, 
little quirk of the 2000 and up, 2001 up Bonnevilles that if you fell off on the left side of the bike and you bent the gear shift shaft, and it was quite easy to do, you actually had to cut the shaft off clean before you could attempt oh. to get the shaft out because oh, no. it crossed over the bike. <clears throat> so the, the gear shift obviously was on the left side of the bike, but the shifting mechanism was on the right side of the bike. Oh, geez. And so if you bent the end of that shaft, it was a snug fit all the way through the casings. Mm. So you couldn't wow. even get the casing off to repair it unless you'd cut it off flush. And, of course, if you cut it off flush, you're doing a lot of heat, so you're destroying the oil seal immediately behind it. Right. So, nice. you know, you'd get a Bonneville come in, and you'd say, oh, yeah, the gear shift shaft is, is bent. Well, the first thing you need to do is you need to get the shaft mechanism cover gasket, the shaft itself – the clutch cover gasket, which is one on the left side, and the clutch oil seal, and the gear shift, and whatever else you needed. It's just a little quirk with them. You know, all bikes have got little quirks. It's, you know, it's a case of knowing them. But So for now, the KLR can remain unkillable? I think so. Ah, there it is. You know, they're, t they're tough bikes. Um the only yeah. advice I will give, and it's the same for all single-cylinder bikes, it's a very, very tall engine. The same as a DR650 is a tall engine. The same as an XR650L is a tall engine. The same as a KTM single is a tall engine. It's a long way between the camshaft, which is the most vascular, the greediest of all the components in an engine, your camshaft is the greediest when it comes to oil, and it's the furthest away from the oil pump. What does that mean for you? Use a good quality oil, stick with a manufacturer's viscosity, and keep it changed regularly. If you're going to have engine problems with a KLR, it's going to be at the top. There you go. Is that your top tip? That's my top tip. You're riding a... No, it applies to all bikes. Keep your oil clean. Keep it changed regularly. Use a good quality oil of the manufacturer's specified viscosity. Now, your Uncle Bob or your crazy cousin Dave may say, oh, it'll run better with thicker oil in it, because that's how they talk, you know. Ham's oil. Yeah. But, yeah, if you put car amps oil in it, it's going to run just great. And Don't use 1040, use 2050. Well, 2050 is okay for British bikes that have got camshafts that are down in the bottom and are lubricated from splash feed. The problem is motorcycles with an overhead cam where the cam is running directly in the cylinder head, you want the oil to get from the pan up to that camshaft as quickly as possible. And yep. if you've got 2050 in it, especially car 2050, if your clutch hasn't called it quits, it's going to be, it's not going to be sprinting up the oilways. It's going to be having a leisurely stroll up the oilways. <laughs> oh, it's a lovely summer day and la la la. And all the time your camshaft's going. <laughs> so um, if the manufacturer says 1040, put 1040 in it. If the manufacturer yep. says 530, 
put 530 in it. Mm-hmm. You know, and that is why. Yeah. So um, I have some announcements to make. Oh, do you really? I do. Oh, good. So, um, Emma, you know, one of the things that made it such a great day today is I lifted the limit on how many people could come to the garage. Yeah, wasn't it good? It was a great day. So we've mm. been doing it by appointment only, two appointments a week, just keeping it very bare minimum while we got through this, you know, peak uh, time of COVID when the hospitals were full. But things have been going well. So I lifted it and kind of put out the word and we had Charlie came by and knock and Adrian and James and just it was kind of like the old times of people just kind of all hanging out six feet apart, but, you know, hanging out, shooting the shit. And it felt really good to kind of have that again. You know, it would have been nice if Bagel was there, but it was still it was nice. It was nice. And and I want to make an opportunity to um, because we 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 had somebody um, comment on our website Ooh, that oh the election's over and are you going there so, well i just want to make it absolutely clear that misfits and the recycle garage have never been a politically affiliated organization and we never will be it's not of any interest to us our basis in opening in the garage is solely on the rates of beds available in ICU. When it drops below a certain level, we we change from, you know, code purple Mm -hmm. to code red, and we can begin to open things up. The only political conversation I'm willing to get in is join the AMA. You should join the AMA because the (laughs) AMA have paid lobbyists who are working to make sure your freedoms aren't eroded from anyone in Washington, no matter who their political affiliation is. So my extent of getting involved in politics is join the AMA, give them your money, be active, be involved. And that's it. Yeah. And and I just, just me personally, I want to say that COVID is not about politics. This is about keeping people safe and alive. We have lost nearly 500,000 people in the United States over the last year because of this disease, because people are not taking it seriously. Now, they're, you know, they're, they're, we're still learning as we go, you know, but, but this is a really, really serious pandemic, and it's going to continue for a while. Oh, sure. So, but, you know, so this is not a political thing. This is about keeping people safe. So anybody who puts a political bent on this, my, I just want to say, fuck you. Oh, no, this is, oh bagel. I'm sorry. Oh. I need to say that because, because this is, this oh, is boy. about human lives. Okay. Fuck your politics. <laughs> fuck all this bullshit. Keep people safe. And, you know, and we need we need to have social time because that is important to us because we are social creatures, but we need to do it in a safe way. Mm-hmm. OK. And, you know, I don't care what your political bent is. You need to take COVID seriously because this could mean your life. It could mean the lives of people who you care about. OK. And, it, and COVID does not give a damn about your politics. 
Okay, this, well, this is a real thing. Ride, okay. Not dissimilar to riding around on motorcycles because yeah. in the wrong hands, motorcycling can be dangerous. And we're all about keeping totally. people safe on motorbikes. Right. That's who it's, we are. Right. And, it's, and both are about risk reduction, you yeah, know, and good. risk management. And, well, and that's what this is all about. Actually, it's about the garage has always been a safe space. And that yes. safe space refers to many different things. And in this mm -hmm. case, it's making it uh, safe because this is a place that Emma and I and other people are here donating our time and services to people. But yep. I take care of my parents who are senior citizens who haven't had the vaccine yet. So I have to yeah. straddle the line because the rest of my time I spend alone quarantining to limit yeah. the risk. So. I'm just happy we were able to open and let more people come in. And it started to feel and, a little um, bit like the old times. My definition of safe, if you want to lie naked on one of my bikes, yes. that's fine. <laughs> but you better put a rubber Johnny on. I'm sorry, you Americans call them rubber jimmies. Um, I have some more announcements. Speaking of oh, the really, AMA. Yes. So I think I mentioned it before. You know, the AMA has a podcast they started. Do we like the AMA? Yes. Yes, we do. And it's called On the Line with AMA. And if you go listen to the latest episode, you'll have me and Haley on yep. there. Wasn't that a song by I, Toto? <laughs> <laughs> I, I listened to all of the episodes over the past week, and, and it's a really good show. They've got some, they've got some really good guests mm -hmm. on there. Is it a really big show? Um, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I recommend it. It's, it, it is a, it is a, a, a wonderful addition to motorcycling podcastery. I have another announcement. Oh, good. Oh, so, uh, this one is a big thank you to all the people who answered my call for reviews on iTunes. Thank you very mm. much. Keep it coming. We got a lot of, um, great reviews. Thank you. But there's a great one here that I want to share with everyone. <laughs> and this one is written and i just I even love the name the username is fjord fiesta <laughs> that's totally phil that is totally phil <laughs> fjord fiesta uh, and he gave us a little i guess a limerick you would call it is a limerick or a poem <laughs> There once was a mechanic named Emma, whose favorite tool was a hammer. When she got into a bottle of gin, she'd always wind up in the slammer. Blimey, I've been rumbled. <laughs> oh my god! Oh fjord. <laughs> fjord fiesta. I love it. Oh, fjord um, fiesta. Thank you, everyone, for the reviews. And I'm going to put out the request again, because not only does it get that really bad negative review further down the line, um, but you have to remember, this is a way that other people can discover our show. And by getting more reviews on there, it'll pop up as a suggestion to more people. So if you like what you're listening to, please uh, go on to iTunes and and give a review and... Um, and help us get the word out to even more people. I, You know, we've been doing this a, a long time, and a lot of people know about us, but there's so many new motorcycle podcasts out there now. 
Um, and they are being sponsored, you know, by the AMA or by Revzilla or by, you know, they're all out there and um, they're bringing all new stuff to the game. We're still just chugging along, uh, just doing this on our own and just, you know, kind of being us and bringing you us. So um, we still need to, you know, scrape and climb and crawl to keep our position and have a, more people learn about us. Um, and then uh, I think. Well, Liza, was... I imagine people can also slide over to YouTube mm-hmm. and subscribe and like uh, the YouTube you channel go. too. Yes, indeed. There yeah. you go. Uh, yeah, where I've been sharing the Zooms on there. So if you want to just hear us rambling on uh, instead of just the audio, you have that. And and uh, every now and then we do more things. And then the final announcement is I've been talking with Emma about starting something up at the garage. So hmm. um, due to COVID, due to the winter, it always kind of are the crowds that come kind of wanes a bit. And as I said, we've kind of dialed it down to just really just helping a few people each week. But because of that, we have a new opportunity that's come up because now Emma has more time available because she's not being torn between eight people at a time. I discussed with her maybe starting to do some classes and seminars at the garage. Ooh. Yeah. Nice. A great idea. Yeah. Great um, idea. Like we were just throwing out there like the first one, maybe just like uh, breaking down and cleaning carbs. And I okay. think, I mean, Bagel, you you know the shop well enough. Uh, do you think like mm-hmm. if we open it up for four people so she could do it outside on a table and like we could still do safe, you know, keep people safe I mean, distance? I yeah, I mean, I think if if we can if we if you can do it outside and everybody's you know six feet apart with masks on, I think it's totally cool. You that, know, that is we that might, is doing it safe. We might be able to do more, Emma, if you invite people up one at a time to come take a closer look at stuff. You right. you could be like sure. when you go to um the the supermarket and you have the guy like uh cutting up vegetables, throwing through the juicer, and he's got the little microphone and he's <laughs> come on up, let me show you jobs and the juices in it. <laughs> Oh no! I want to be like I want to be like Vince. You remember Vince? Hey, I got your sham wow right here. <laughs> yeah, the sham wow. <laughs> I used to love what happened to Vince. I think he he was actually locked up or something. I want to think. Ooh. I think so. I'm not sure. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, he just. All I, know, all I know, all I know is Billy Mays, but. Yeah. So yeah, so we're talking about doing that, Emma. We should do that maybe in the next couple of weeks. And you know, I'm I'm I'll accept requests for outfits to wear. If you wanna if you wanna see me dismantle a carburetor wearing a certain outfit, I mean I'll do my best. My, my vote is for platform shoes. Okay. Right. I think but I've got a pair of platforms still. Let's make it weather appropriate because you know we care about the summer. I I would like for you to wear the Leia, Leia slave outfit. <laughs> that, that would be a summer request. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> oh, All right, that'd be fun. Um, and the good news too is just so funny. Um, as we were talking about that, I got a message from um, Mean Megan um, about her husband, partner. Yes, baby, uh, baby daddy. 
uh, Jason, uh, JP Hunt's suspension, <laughs> and they were reaching out saying, hey, we thought it'd be cool if we did uh, a suspension uh, like class at your Ooh, shop. And yeah. I'm like, wow, we were just talking about doing that. So oh, yeah. I think I'm going to start I mean, lining that up. Jason is an absolute world-class suspension guru. So this, I mean, this is an absolutely big deal. So Emma, you know, I might even ride down for something like that. So Emma, let me ask you this. Yes. How long, how many, like how long would you need to do one of your classes? Like two hours? Do yeah, you- I think two hours is plenty. Well, cause you're already coming up, uh, you know, driving up. What if we did it from 10 to 12? So we started a little bit early that way. Then we still had the whole afternoon to help people fix bikes. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds like fun. So should we schedule? Schedule. Do you want to do it next weekend or the <laughs> weekend after? Let's do the weekend after. So that way we can next weekend, we can kind of get together. Uh, and what we're going to do. Abs- that will actually be my last Sunday because I will be opening my shop the very next day. Wait, wow. what do you mean your last Sunday? Well, no, I mean, I'm going to be coming down, but it's, it's the last Sunday before I open my ah, shop. Okay. Got it. Got it. Ooh, yeah. No, exciting. no, no. There's, there's no way I will ever give up misfits. Oh, ever. Okay, thank you. you scared You're me. stuck with me for life, but on, so that is Sunday, the 28th. I'll look at the date. I'll put something together, but I think we're going to start doing some classes. I think 10 to 12. Yeah. It's quite doable, and we'll put it out there, and we're going to figure out how to do it, but I thought that was kind of the next step, you know? Well, you know, and um, you you may actually uh, not have a choice with outfits, because I will be coming directly from <laughs> church services. Hey, and who knows? We might actually sell a couple juicers. Yes, or <laughs> sham wows. Sham wows. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my word. Um, that, I think that's it. Other than there's just really cool stuff going on. We didn't even talk about um, uh, We didn't talk about Guy Martin. Yes. His Turbo oh. Busa. <laughs> yes. Ooh, wow. Turbo Busa going for a speed record. There's things wow. happening out there. There's things to be excited about. Um, you know, I'm. Uh, what, what is it? we're still in February. You know what, Emma? I'm just going to say, I think we're going to make this year, 2021, a stellar year. I think we're going to figure out how to do things better. We're going to oh, ramp I it up. I think so. I think, I think um, the last year has given everyone an opportunity to consider what's important to them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, to me, the most important thing in my life is motorbikes. So the more I have to do with them and the more I have to do with people who own and love them like me the better my life's going to be and on monday march the first i'm taking possession of my new shop and i'm going to kit it out and um hopefully that's gonna become a life force in itself and it's just it's just going to bring me a you know just closer into the community yeah so when's the party um, well, the party, I'm going to wait until probably the fall when um, we when can actually when when we had we vaccines. Can, have a party. When we can have a proper party. Um, I've got one of my dear friends who's, um, you know, quite a famous musician 
has written me a theme song for the shop. And, um, <laughs> That's awesome. His band, the Bohemian Saints, will be doing a free concert. And, yeah. um, you know, it's 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 going to be a scene. It's going to be a you good know, scene. But we're going to wait until we can all enjoy ourselves. And maybe we can hope that Fjord Fiesta <laughs> will have some more poems. <laughs> have a poetry slam <laughs> with Micah and Fjord. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So I, I yes, I knew I knew his cousin Fjord Cortina. <laughs> <laughs> oh my word, you silly people. Um so I think I think we're ready to wrap it up. Um big big shout out and thanks to everyone who's been emailing us. I got a bunch oh you know what? I got a bunch of emails. Uh, I haven't been able to read them all, but here's just here's one who's nice and short. Um and this one is from Parker. Says, Hello, Parker. Says, hey, guys, wanted to start out by saying that I love the podcast. You're helping me dream of warmer weather. It's going to get down to negative 15 tonight here in Wisconsin. I was wondering uh, if you had some ideas for great riding destinations. I've been out to the Black Hills in South Dakota and to the Tail of the Dragon in North Carolina. I'm looking for some more good twisties that I could take my Sportster or Grom on to have some fun. Um, well, you're, you, I mean, Liza, well, Bagel, you're our travelers. Yeah, I mean, Black Hills but he's is a long amazing. way from California. I know, but hey, I'm saying California, there's great. Um, sure, I'm, I mean, the Rockies are full of great roads too. Utah, so yeah, Southern yes. Utah would be amazing. Southern Utah, yep. I mean, I've been going there my whole life, but a lot of other people are starting to discover it, and I'm really wanting to go explore it more on two wheels. Um, yeah. A closer destination to him might also be West Virginia. There are some amazing mm, roads out yeah. there. Oh, the, 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 the Blue Ridge Country. Parkway. The Hill Country of Texas. Yeah. Oh. It's amazing. That's closer to him, too. There's, uh, yeah, I'm just, see, I'm, I've been to all those places you're talking about, but when I'm traveling cross country, uh, I think like Bagel, I'm just trying to get to where I'm going. Mm-hmm. So I'm right. getting there fast. Um, you know what? If we're on a sportster, I'm going to say Nevada. There's a lot to discover in Nevada. There's you got but there's ghost, not a lot of, ghost towns. Not a lot of roads, there, but no, but you've got some of these back roads, and you can just discover things, which sure. is pretty cool. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, and even um, up in uh uh uh. Southern Massachusetts. There's some really cool stuff up in there and great museums. You know what? Oh, you know what? Great museums. Well, you know, I was going to say, if he rides across Ontario, there's some beautiful riding in upstate New York and Vermont. Uh, Hit that during the summer, man. That's that's some gorgeous riding there. Michigan in the summer. Really cool. Poconos. Upper Upper Peninsula. Yeah. Yeah. Pocono. Poker, yes. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Um, I think that's it. Anyone else got anything else to share before we get out of here? Yeah. I just, I want to give a shout out to a friend of mine, um, who took over, uh, Moto Guild in mm-hmm. San Jose. Oh, yeah. Um, so she reopened it as something called the garage. Uh, her name is Irene, Irene Chen. And uh, they're just trying to do similar things, do it yourself stuff. And so they're also doing some repairs and doing some customization things. So if you got a chance, roll over. It's right, right off of the freeway there in, uh, in, 
uh, in San Jose. Good one. Is, it, is this an addition to the Moto Guild in San Francisco? It, I'm not yes. sure. Yes. They, yeah. They're two different. I think they were connected spaces. at yeah. once, but then yeah. they, yeah, then they split. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, John, That's put awesome. that on the list. Let's do our next uh, go on a visit shops. Let's go, yeah, go to absolutely. San Jose. Yeah. Yep. I like visiting the Harley dealer there, Cycle Gear, um, and we can go visit them. That's cool. The Pride garage. Yeah. Yep. Do you know what part of San Jose they're in? Yeah, they're off of uh, 280 and right by downtown. I think it's uh, okay. or it's off of Bird and Aurelzaius or something like that. Oh, oh yeah, Aurelzaius. Yeah, that's a that's a great, yeah. great, really accessible area. Yeah, awesome. it's right by the Palermo restaurant. Yep, excellent. And then I'll take you to uh, is it King Egg Roll, and we'll get some shrimp oh, yes. balls. Shrimp yes. balls. Those King are good. Oh, is that man. the place you took me to, Liza? Yeah, like they're that's like a- tangerine so- size balls of <laughs> shrimp deep fried. Feast. Mm. Oh, beast. Good stuff. Good stuff. Tower, seafood tower. <laughs> you get me with seafood tower every time, man. You know my three favorite words together. Chinese seafood buffet. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, my God. Um, this is when I thank everyone out there for listening, sticking with us, especially our Patreon subscribers. We've got some new ones this month. So, hey there. Welcome. Thank you very much. I'm working on something special. Um, also big thanks. Uh, I'm showing off, uh, the buff that I'm wearing. We had a surprise gift sent with some really nice buffs and a bandana, um, that I don't know who it's from, but it's from Salem, Massachusetts. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Emma, what's, what's your joke about Massachusetts? Oh, no, it's, there's a huge warehouse Yeah. with a lot of, of uh, dentures in it. I heard about this. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. Yes. It. It. There's. There's a mass of chew sets in there. <laughs> oh boy. That's a dad joke. That's a dad joke. <laughs> that, that, that's, a, that's a shout out to Chris Smith at Cleveland Moto. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think we're ready to get out of here. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. John, you don't know the routine, so I'm just going to see what happens here, see if you can figure it out. All right. Thank you, everyone. This is Liza. There you go. Emma, darling. And John. And we're out of here. Cool, cool. cool. <laughs>